Uh, Father, thanks so much for tonight. Thank you for an opportunity to continue to dive into Revelation. God, I pray that you would just uh, continue to guide us through this conversation. And um, God, as always, our heartbeat is, is not just to learn information, but to grow closer to you as a result, to be more of the people you've called us to be. So thanks for each person that's here. And uh, God, just uh, teach us through your word, in your name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're doing uh, three chapters. Revelation 14, 15, and 16. And um, just to kind of recap, we talked a lot last week about kind of this idea of spiritual warfare and the idea that we're really caught in the middle of kind of this eternal battle of good versus evil, of, of God versus Satan. And we really have two kingdoms who are kind of against each other. You kind of have the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world sort of kind of going at each other all the time. And we're kind of caught in the middle of all of this stuff. And also kind of in the midst of that, just kind of reiterate the idea that, you know, you guys are worth fighting for. I mean, essentially you've got, you know, spiritual forces battling for you. And so I just say that to be, because I think sometimes we think of like, well, what's our significance or what's, what gives us value? Well, you're obviously valuable enough to have like, you know, Satan want a piece of you and God to want an eternal relationship with you. So you're valuable enough for that. So just to say that, um, and so pretty much from here on out, for the rest of the book, um, we're dealing with the culmination of things, um, especially 14 through 19 and 20. We're really kind of getting a three-dimensional view of this idea of the day of the Lord, where the day of the Lord is, is, is an idea that you see a lot in the Old Testament God's people, they're waiting for this day. And the prophets talked a lot about there would be a day, this day of the Lord, that God would make everything right. Everything that was wrong in their world, God would, would set it straight. And so, um, now that's good. Something to celebrate if you're on the right side of things. That's something to be terrified of if you're on the wrong side of things. And so, and obviously, those people who were looking forward to it, obviously felt like they were going to be on the side of, on the side of God and on the side of good. And I think that's something for us to consider because, uh, I'm preaching this Sunday in church about the church in Thyatira. No, Smyrna, Smyrna, not Thyatira. Which church is Which it? one? I'm doing, I'm doing a couple in this series. Dave and I are kind of flip-flopping, but the Smyrna is the one that talks about the synagogue of Satan. And if you think about, like, that's really tragic. This idea that you have God's chosen people who grew up with Scripture and grew up with access to Scripture and grew up with good teaching and all this kind of stuff, and they completely miss Jesus. Like, of anybody on the face of the earth, they should have been the ones to identify, like, there's the Messiah. We've been waiting. For, I mean, they have literally been waiting for the Messiah for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And if you talk to an Orthodox Jew today, they're still waiting. Like, think how, how sad is that? 
you have you have people in Kansas City. I mean, there's Orthodox Jews in Kansas City right now who are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And he already came. And they missed him. And they would call themselves very devout, and they love God, and they have a lot of like these rules and these structures and all this kind of stuff. So I think, um, I just say that to be, I think we especially, I think we in the American church, are very accustomed to like always seeing ourselves on the good side. We're always we're always the good guys. We always get it right. We're always maybe not you personally, but I think we as a culture we tend to want to see ourselves in the most positive light possible. And I think too, when we read the Bible, I think as American Christians, oftentimes we are like, well, but we go to church and we like are, I'm at a Bible study, you know, in my summer vacation. So like I'm obviously on the good side. And I don't mean to say that like you're on, you're definitely on the bad side, but I think it's just, it's, I think it's important. It's a, and I, this might be something for you to just take note of. I think it's really important in your walk with Jesus to always consider that there might be some, there's things that you don't know. There's things that you don't understand fully. And there's a, there's a more full picture of Jesus that you could have. And I, I say that, I think there is aspects of Jesus that I continue to see and go, Oh man, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way, or I didn't think of him that way, or I didn't think of the, you know, the bigness of, of who Jesus is. And so I just think like reading the Bible with humility and studying these things with humility is just really important. It's excellent. <laughs> they all get sauce this way. That's great. <laughs> um, so when you start into verse uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 1, um, there's a, kind of this triumphant picture. And so I want to read this to you guys. And I can't find my, my normal Bible. So this Bible has really small fonts. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder, the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the, before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They are purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So let's kind of decipher through the images that we've got going on here. First of all, you've got the lamb. So based on what we've read so far, we could identify the lamb as? Jesus. Jesus, right? Um, interesting that it's not the lion. That... You know, lion you think is like powerful, the lion of Judah. Like this is a victory, picture of victory here. But John seems to want to continue to remind us that the victory that we have is through the death of Christ. That is what gives victory, not conquest, not military takeover, not like forcing the kingdom of God down people's throats. It's through the lamb. That image is really solid in this. Um, Mount Zion. Um, any ideas? 
from stuff we've talked about in previous weeks or stuff you just know? Like what significance of Mount Zion? Nope. No. That was Sinai, wasn't it? I don't remember. Or, I've heard, I think I've he heard got the Mount Zion before. Yeah. Like, it's definitely, that's not where Jesus was crucified, was it? No. C- kind of. So Mount Zion was kind of like, it's an actual mountain like where Jerusalem is. But but theologically, Mount Zion, it's like, for so for so Jerusalem for... And Israelite is like the headquarters of God on earth. Jerusalem is like, and that's where like the temple was built and Ten Commandments or the Ark of the Covenant was originally and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Which is why in 586, when Babylon comes, again, Babylon, the reason why Babylon, the name Babylon is used, Babylon is the one that comes and destroys Jerusalem. So 586. Babylon rolls up and tears the whole thing down, including the temple. And the temple is like, for a Jewish person, the temple is where heaven and earth meet. Like that is the, like the, the meeting point. And so it's why you have Jeremiah and it's why you have the book of Lamentations. If, and that would be an interesting study actually to kind of go through what is what's Jeremiah's voice trying to say in these these days before he knows that Jerusalem is like his days are numbered and he's trying to tell anybody who will listen to them, you know, and they just don't listen to them. It's very tragic. So um, so Mount Zion is kind of like like a restored a kingdom of God. It's the temple of God. It's the mount of God. It's in, um, when, it's, when it's a lamb standing on Mount Zion, it's like, this is like the image that John's trying to give us is that Jesus is victorious. He's won. Like he's standing there in victory. Um, and obviously in this scene, it's, it's a victory over Rome and the Rome, Roman oppression. But it's really for, for us, for believers, it's, it's, it's victory over whatever kind of the world throws at us. It's kind of like um, any of those regimes, which there's been regimes all throughout history that have persecuted Christians or made life hard for Christians. Uh, it's, it's kind of that whole thing. So you got this victory posture with Jesus, and then you got the 144,000 shows up again. And we've kind of talked about this a few uh, over and over, but 144,000 is... That number kind of talked about what number is equal. Yeah, so it's 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 designed to represent kind of the totality of of those who have committed their lives to Jesus, but there's an emphasis in this passage on those who have lost their lives for their faith. Uh, and there's a couple places that's going to become more obvious as time as we get through into this. Um, but um, a couple things you see when it talks about um, the they did not defile themselves with women, they're virgins. So the whole idea behind that was 
If you were a male going into the military, you're going to war, um, you had to leave your home and you, you camped out and you couldn't have, like even if you were married, you couldn't be with your, your wife like during that whole time of like battle. Like you, you were supposed to kind of abstain from that. So this idea is like, this is a group that's been assembled to prepare for this conflict against the forces of evil. Kind of like they're, they're getting ready to go against. So, this, so that, um, this idea that they're blameless, it's like they would go through all of these sort of purification rituals before they would go and fight. If they were fighting what they would call a holy war, that God, if, it's kind of like you talk, look, a lot of times in the Old Testament, God leads them out into to a nation. They would, do, they would go through quite a process. And so this is this image of. Now, a couple things with that. Um, if you go back to verses 2 and verses 3, um, you see some images from, well, a couple things. First of all, you've got 144,000, but what is unique about them in verse 1? They have Jesus and the Father's name written on their forehead. Yeah, yeah. So the whole idea of that, and it's the same thing as like we talked about the mark of the beast last week. It's not so much to be taken literally like they have a tattoo that says Jesus, like a property of Jesus on their foreheads. It's just, you can't miss it. Like, these are people that have devoted their lives to Christ, and it's obvious. Like, you can't ignore it. You can't deny it. Like, you know, and you've probably met people like this, right? You've met people that when you watch the way they live their lives and you watch their lives of integrity, you go, like, they love Jesus. Like, it's just... I mean, can you think of examples of people that you've met that you're just like, yeah, they're... Can give me some examples? Oh, my grandpa. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, 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 is it, what is it about your grandpa that's like... Um, the way that his generosity and love flows through him like has to be directly from the Lord because I just don't think anyone could be like that generous on their own. Yeah. So that's the idea, is that like these are just... Like they've chosen... Their, like this, this whole... You're going to see a lot of this idea of like, Choosing a side. Like, are you for the kingdom of God or are you not? And so, like, these are people that they've chosen their side. They're part of the kingdom of God. Um, the, sound, the sounds from heaven, if you remember, if we go back to, um, you know, the Revelation 4, Revelation 5, remember there's that whole sequence of, like, there's thunder and there's all this kind of stuff. So we're bringing back like this heaven throne room scene again. There's the elders again. There's the, there's the living creatures again. Like this stuff is all. So you got this heaven, victory in heaven kind of imagery. So with that, um, so let me ask you guys, what, what motivates you to follow Jesus? Like, you know, this, these, these, we talk about these people have said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like, I'm in. I'm obviously felt like for you guys, like, what is like your motivation to say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus? I'm not asking rhetorically. I'm actually <laughs> interested in that. Like. I mean, I just feel like it gives you something to live for. Like, you know that it's not just like, the 80 years on earth and then you're done. Like the eternal reward that you have for having a relationship with him is far greater than anything earthly 
Okay, cool. What's your, what motivates you? I really wrestled with this in high school because I wasn't sure if I was just a Christian because like it made me a good person or because I thought my morals lined up with Christianity. But like I wouldn't have those morals had God not placed my moral compass. I had to do like this whole soul searching thing. Whatever, different story. But I think that, <laughs> yeah. that motivation comes from the fact that like I'm just so in awe of what his sacrifice was for us that I want to devote my life to. I'll never be able to repay him, but like say that that was worth it. Thank you for doing that. I want to commit my life to you. Anybody else? I think, like, just, like, looking around at the world, there's no way that I could just be like, oh, it's just here, just because. Mm -hmm. And so I think just knowing, like, every sunrise and sunset, especially, like, for me, nature, it's, like, a big, like, Mm -hmm. connection to God. And I'm just like, why wouldn't I worship this God that creates this every day for us? Like, it's... It's for us, so. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was in a Bible, I was leading a young adult Bible study years ago, not at this church, years ago. And I asked a question. It was like a Sunday school class, I think. And I said, what if you could do whatever you want, whatever you want, and there'd be no consequences and you could still go to heaven? Would you do that? And there's a girl that was like, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that's, I would totally do that. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And it's, you know, it's not a surprise that she's not currently following Jesus. You know, as soon as, like, her parents didn't drag her to church or force her to go to youth group or force her to go to Sunday school, she'd stop because it was never something that was like, I want to follow Jesus. I want, it was like, well, I guess I don't want to go to hell. And so I, I will, you know, and so, but let's be real though. Like for, like, I would say many Christians have at least gone through a phase in their lives where they, they do very much minimum requirement Christianity because it's, it's, it's like fire insurance. It's like, well, I don't really want to end up on the, on the backs, on the wrong side of this thing. So I will just do like the bare minimum. It's kind of like the same conversation of like, dating and like you know like like the purity talks like the conversation like well what's the farthest i can go without it being wrong it's like well if you're asking that question you're probably already wrong before you even take a step like that's not you know that's 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 you're you have no desire to like follow god you just want to do what you want to do and not get in trouble you know and i think that is there's it's very different that idea is very different than what's happening in this first few verses. I mean, you just have people that are like, I am lining myself up with Jesus. I want to be a part of this. And that's the whole idea of having the thing on your forehead. This is not like, well, I guess if I have to, I'll do, you know, it's like, you think about like a group assignment that you did in like high school or whatever, where it's like, you all have to do a part and you always had that one person and you might've been that person in your study group that was like, what do I have to do to get like a grade on this, to get like, to not fail, you know? And then like somebody else has to do like the rest of the work so that you don't, the rest of you don't almost fail kind of a thing. I feel like college is a huge temptation <laughs> to do like the bare minimum of our faith to get by. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
So this is huge because this is a really powerful image, right? You've got Jesus and all the people, and they're on Mount Zion, and they're in this place of authority. And it's being written to a very limited church, right? Like it's not 144,000. That's like numberless. Like you can't count them. And they're not in positions of power. They're not in positions of authority. They're not, they're very much beaten down. They're very much, and we kind of talked about, I was talking to Haley and uh, Reagan about this earlier. Really the question of Revelation is, is it worth it? Like, is following Jesus worth it? Because as they looked outside, you know, their doors and in their lives, following Jesus made their lives incredibly difficult. Um, and the logic of the day, the logic of the day was very much like, which God is stronger? And I will follow the God that is stronger. And so you'd have like, nations that would conquer other nations and that's why people would start following their it's, it's like sounds counterintuitive to us but you would have nations that would get conquered and they'd say well i'll start following your gods because your gods must have won. like that's why you won this battle is that your gods are stronger i mean it happens in recent history i don't know if you guys re- realize this but after world war ii there was a huge growth interest in christianity in japan after we dropped the bombs on them because in their theology, they're like, well, you're God one. Like, you guys believe you're American. You know, in, their, in their eyes, America equals Christianity. Now we know it's more complex than that. But America equals Christianity. And you obviously, your God allows you to develop this weapon. And so we're, gonna, we're, we're interested. And so there was like a window of time where you had all these Japanese folks that came to faith because... And my my wife's grandpa was one of them. He started like a he was a he was a army chaplain in World War II, and he started he sold his jeep and bought a plot of land, and they grew a mission like a mission board in Japan that was very very effective. But there was a huge openness because it was like, well, God must have let you guys. So it's interesting that 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 mentality of you know who's and so for them in the first century they very much are questioning is Jesus really the king of kings because everything else tells me that Caesar is everything that I see tells me that Caesar is the king of kings and it's the same thing like you know we will sing worship songs you'll hear people say God is in control God is in control God is in control when the world looks like complete chaos and so it's there's, we have questions, right? Like legitimate questions, and they have legitimate questions. So this is really, really important, a really important image for them to see, to like, no, you're, you guys are on the, right, on the right path, like stay with it. This is where this, this is how the story ends. And so we, we really have this idea of um, kind of the, this, what seems like an underdog faith that's going to be victorious. Um, so... We continue on, and we're in uh, verse 6 now. I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, every nation, tribe, language, and people. We saw that a couple times earlier. It's gonna, that's going to be repeated, this, whole, this global 
message. Said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. So this is, like I said, this is the day of the Lord coming. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink its maddening wine of her adulteries. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, anyone who worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their, on their forehead or on their head, hand, they will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Yikes. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image. For anyone who re receives the mark of its name, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. Is this where a lot of people get the idea of the rapture? Um, actually, a lot of people get the idea of the rapture from, um, Revelation 4, when it says he got caught up into heaven, mm -hmm. like that part. And then there's also in 1 Thessalonians, there's a talk about meeting the Lord in the air, but that as a whole imagery thing that I can unpack for you if you want me to, but, um, it's, yeah, no, we can, we can get to it. Um, uh, but yeah, no, this is more. So let me just say this. How, this is designed, what you just read is designed to be encouraging. How could this passage be encouraging to someone? Because it's pretty rough. Wait, it's meant to be encouraging? Yes. I think well, like... For someone that <coughs> follows him, yeah. Because so, that's not going to happen to us type thing. Is that what that's getting at? Well, sort I think, of like like what you were saying, like back in the time that this was written, you know, and there was a lot of persecution, like and people were literally like dying for Jesus and like dying in the name of Jesus. So like where it says, um, "Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on," you know, I think it's referring to just like if you don't have the mark of the beast and if you don't like partake in that activity, you know, you may die here on earth because. You know, it's going to be, like it says, like you're going to need like the mark of the beast to buy and sell. So like it's going to be hard, you know, if you don't give in to the mark of the beast. So I think it's basically just saying like if you die in the name of the Lord, like it, it says at the end, they'll rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Like you'll, you'll get your rest because you'll get eternal life because of it. Yeah. That's so basically it's like just keep living like a godly life. Right, because everything you see would suggest that this is the way to go. Like, to be a good Roman and to go to the Roman festivals and to pay homage to the Roman gods. Um, Pastor David, if he didn't, didn't listen to the sermon last Sunday, I recommend it. Um, he was just talking about kind of filling in the blanks more of, the, the life of a, of, a, of a citizen in one of these cities, you know, you would have to go to the, if you went to the market, there's a gate that, that keeps you out of the market and you have to 
worship one of the gods or goddesses to, to proceed to get food, to put on your table. So you got to like to just do a very simple thing. You have to you have to make a choice to literally like sign up for, yes, I'm going to follow this culture. And so this is essentially John saying it's going to fall. You know, say I know right now it looks really enticing right now. I mean, the whole like propaganda was like. Pax Romana, Pax Romana, Roman peace, Roman peace, become a good Roman, become a good citizen, be a good patriotic, which is it's very ironic that we're talking about this <laughs> on the 5th of July, because these Christians would have been the most unpatriotic people in their, in their society, because you basically, when you don't worship the emperor, you're basically saying, I don't believe in the emperor's leadership. I don't believe in the Roman government. I don't, and you're rejecting, like, basically the promise of the emperor is if you come and will give yourself to the empire, we will give you, you will become, you'll have wealth, you'll be fed. We have a grand military that will keep you protected from any invaders. You have, we have all these benefits that we're, so you are, you're rejecting. You're basically throwing up the middle finger to all of this stuff we're trying we're trying to do all the stuff for you and you are just rejecting us so you would have been like the biggest outcasts so you have there's so much pressure for you to just just go along with it like even if you don't believe it and that was something that and pastor david talked about this yesterday too that was the temptation was the gods aren't real. Just go and like throw something in the, throw some coins in the jar, or burn some incense. Like who cares? Like it's not real. But the, what you're saying to the people around you is I believe in this. I'm giving homage. I give authority to that. And so even if you don't believe in your heart, everybody else, it's, you know, we, we talk about it, but I, this is where this idea comes from of like living out your faith because you might not mean it, but people are watching you, right? I mean, people are always watching you, how you live your life. And, you know, if you say you're a Christ follower and you are, you know, like you were talking about Reagan a while back when you worked in Chick-fil-A, that there was a local pastor that was like one of the biggest jerks, you know? And it's like, people know that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that you see, like your opinion of that person, it's not great because I've gone to some of his services and heard his sermons and then he treated me like I was an idiot so it's like that like what you do matters not just what you say not just what you pray not just what you confess you know it's mm -hmm. it's it's your life and so and so there's so much pressure to do this and so this passage of like judgment and fall and fall and his Babylon on the great and all this kind of stuff it is again a reminder of like you're like, don't do it. Don't get sucked into this, doing this stuff, because this is how it ends. It ends in tragedy. So don't do it. Um, man, there's, there's, 
there's really a lot. I could I could talk a, a lot more about this stuff. If you want to um, get more of a picture of some of this idea, Isaiah, going back to Isaiah, Isaiah's chapters 40 to 55, um, it's also another example of kind of God encouraging people who feel like they're just on the, on the losing side. And it's been a lot of, I mean, I would say we have um, in America, you know, generally speaking, like we haven't really had to worry about this stuff, but that is not true for much of the world through history is not, you know, is, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, and the interesting thing to me is that um, the places where it's the struggle is where you find the, some of the most devoted Christians. The places where it's not a struggle is where you find some of the weakest reflections or expressions of the church. Because it's just easy. Um, and so, um, my gosh, yeah, we just have so much. So I like looking at my notes. I'm like, we can't even scratch the surface on this stuff tonight. It's already like 9 o'clock. We even got through chapter 14. One thing that I'd like to say, like from this, like just verses 9 through 11, like I know Haley kind of gasped like, when you said that. <laughs> but like that's, that's like one reason right there why like, and I'm like super passionate about this, but like the reason why people – you know, satanic worship just drives me crazy. Just like even even people that like just dress up as a devil for Halloween or something like that. Um, but especially the thing that because we talked about it at FCA this past year with like Lil Nas X when he came out with those Satan shoes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so that was just like crazy to me. It's like you you read this and you read what's gonna happen to you, and then there's there's people that are aware of of this and have the knowledge and understanding and they still lift up Satan at like, I don't know whether it's a joke or whether it's just like you said, it's, it's easier because, you know, we have the freedom to choose. And so people that choose that, it's very disturbing to know, you know, this is what's going to happen to you and you still choose to follow that. Well, and this is where we wrestle, I think a lot in the way our culture is set up today. You know, we, when I was growing up, back in the day, um, you know, it was always like, tell your friends about Jesus, tell your friends about Jesus. And yeah, there were obviously other religions that existed in the 90s, stuff like that. But it was very much like, you need to do this. And then as time has gone on, we've become a lot more like, well, this is what, this is my truth. Like, Christianity is my truth that works for me, but I'm not going to. Like, I don't, I don't want to shove anything down anybody's throat. And I, I agree with that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, again, like, it's the lamb standing on the mountain, not a lion. Like, there's a way to do this. But I think it is still important. I think there's a way to share our faith without beating people over the head with it. Because ultimately, like, if the people you care about are giving their allegiance to Babylon the Great, that's, like, if, if you care about them... You know, like, if your friends are, like, shooting up heroin, you wouldn't just be like, hey, go get them, guys. Like, have, have fun. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> maybe, maybe try shoot it between your toes next week, you know, like, oh you know, like, right? Like, you wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm concerned for you. I just, like, like I, and I, I'm, I, I, 
with all due respect, like I understand like this is complicated and like we wrestle, like I'm not, and I'm not trying to suggest that like you have to, ha I think sometimes we have it, we have convinced ourselves that we cannot talk about our faith unless we have all of our questions answered. And if you are waiting to have all of your questions answered, you will never share your faith because you will always have questions. There will always be parts of the, I'm just going to be really honest with you. There will always be parts of the Bible that you're like, I don't like that. I don't really like that part. I don't know. That part makes me uncomfortable. I don't like the way that's worded. But I think you have to get to a point where you say, is my concern for people I care about way heavier on me than like these issues that I have? And maybe you're not there. Maybe you're in the, and that's okay. I mean, we're all on a journey, right? And I think you were, t you know, you were talking about in high school, you kind of had to sort, I think you're supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. I think you're supposed to, not that like you have to go off and like have a huge rebellion, but I think <laughs> you, every, all of us have to come to grips with what do I actually believe about this stuff? Because that's the only way it's yours. If you don't do that, then it's just something you've handed down and that doesn't stick. Like hand-me-down faith doesn't last. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up to like when life gets hard. And so, so I, I just, that's my little soapbox, but I just, I, I know that like evangelism, like that word is like, especially evangelical right now, sort of like a, na, a, na, a dirty word in our culture. And I, I know, I understand why, but I also just think like, but man, if we really are concerned that, we have our friends that are giving their allegiance to the, the ba like Babylon exists today. Like it's not just Rome. It's anything that is set up in opposition to the gospel. That's Babylon the great. And that is, I mean, think about our culture, how like self-centered we are and how greedy we are and how, you know, that's the thing that always, I think just, it, it blows my mind how, the church for at least my lifetime is so caught up in like the biggies. Like it's all about sex and it's all about, you know, these things. And like, we don't talk at all about greed. <laughs> we don't talk all about jealousy in the church. We don't talk at all about, you know, pride. But like when you look at some of the lists of like sinful behavior, those are always there. But we, like, really, like, because sex is more obvious, right? Because you can have kids and, you know, like, it's, you know, there's, there's, um, and there's, like, you know, there's, seer, and I, I don't want to make light of, like, oh, just go do whatever you want. Like, I'm not just saying, like, go out and, you know, have all this promiscuous sex. I'm not saying, like, that's, it's fine because there are consequences. But I think sometimes we have held up sex outside of marriage as, like, the unforgivable sin and there's all these other, like, less obvious ones that we're just fine with. Mm -hmm. And we know church people that are jealous. <laughs> and we know church people who are prideful. And we know church people who are greedy. And we know, you know, but we don't ever, like, like if we know a couple is, like, living together outside of marriage, we will be like, we need to talk to them. We need, I'm not sure if they should be doing this right now. 
But if you had like an elder in the church that like cheated on their taxes, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. But but you're pretty, you're a good guy, you know. Like, yeah. but that's like, and I realize people are like, well, Tom, but it's but it's not ranked. I, I'm sorry, there's not. I don't see a ranking system in Scripture where it's like. You know, Sabbath. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and we freaking break it all the time. We run ourselves roughshod. We don't give ourselves any breaks. We don't rest. We just just go, go, go. And we, we're like, well, but I want, I'm trying to outdo this person, so I need to work harder. And meanwhile, we have, we have the worst mental health, right? Oh, yeah. Have you guys seen the mental health, like, studies coming out of COVID? Yes, we are really doing not. terribly and why because we don't give ourselves a freaking break when god wanted god created us to work on a six-day cycle he made us that way so we're just like a, it's like it's like driving your car and never getting oil change like ever you're supposed to get your oil change. <laughs> <laughs> like your car is gonna, your engine's gonna blow up. Might like it's just, you know. Thank you for the reminder. I actually need to get my oil change. <laughs> it's always a game to see how far down you can get. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a few soapboxes today. We're not even out of, but this stuff is really. I mean, there's a few things coming out of this. Um, well, and like even when we're talking about from, I don't know, six through nine ish or 11, I feel like when we're talking about putting our faith in other things, I see it a lot too of sometimes like people putting their faith in governments or like their faith in countries. And I feel like Christian yeah. nationalism has become a big thing. Oh, it's lately. huge. Yeah. And it just like really scares me because it's almost like you're associated, like Christians are people that do that stuff now, I feel like is the, the reputation we're getting in America. Well, no, I think we're putting our faith in the wrong thing because people are always going to disappoint people. Are, like they're not Jesus, and so we have to be really, really careful. Well, Brian, so Brian Zond is a he's a pastor up in St. Joe mm-hmm. of a of a pretty <coughs> substantial church, and somebody I forget who it was was in, in the government was like, there have only been two nations that God chose and blessed: Israel and America. Oh. God. And he responded back and said, you know, America is a lot more like biblical Babylon than biblical Israel. And uh, I retweeted that and got some heat for it. But the, the point is, like, we aren't, like, just the only singular, like, yes, like, there are some great ideals. Like, life, you know, like, liberty and justice for all. You know, I think I, I tweeted that yesterday. Like, it's... That's great. That's biblical. Liberty and justice are all biblical. So there are good, like, Judeo-Christian concepts that are, but it doesn't mean that, like, God has, like, held his hand over the United States of America and, like, everybody else can go to hell. Like, that's not, that's not it. Right. You know? Um, So... Um, that's, that's a whole other soapbox. Yeah, I'm not going, I'm not, but, um, um, yeah, fortunately 15 is a really short chapter. So, um, so let me give you just a couple, um, scriptures to write down cause we're not gonna be able to get into the nuances of all of it. But, um, first Corinthians 15 verses three through eight really gets into kind of this idea of the death and the resurrection and just, um, yeah, 
First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. You can ask again, that's fine. She looks at me and I look at Carter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like telephone. Um, I hate those kids in class, I'm sorry. Um, um, and then the whole idea of like, the, this is big. I, I know this like, we just like take this for granted, but the idea of like the universal lordship of Christ, that God is like the God overall, is a very foreign idea to a lot, of, not just in the ancient world, but today. I mean, a lot of, like, if you grow up in parts of India, you're probably going to be Hindu because that's just, like, baked into your culture. And gods are regional. And to talk about there being one god that is, like, global, overall, is, I mean, that's a, that's a big statement. And that, you get that, a lot of the, the, the language for that in Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. So I'm going to just... Um, Throw that out there. And then from the book of Isaiah, which again, I know Isaiah is long, but there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Three things, three emphasis that, that, um, and I, and I, that Isaiah has that I want to point out. One is that God reigns. Second is that God is coming back. And that God is rescuing us. So God reigns. God is coming back, and God is rescuing us. And you see a lot of that language in Isaiah chapter 52. So if you want to go do a little background reading. I have a question, Tom, uh -huh. and this is not related, but last week, did you say Isaiah 4 was Jesus' first lesson that he taught was on Isaiah 4? You said something about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When he was so, in, no, it's... It's a Luke, Luke 4, he reads from Isaiah. I was going to say, I don't think it's Isaiah 4, because I went back and I read it, because I was like, it's Isaiah, it very obscure. I think it's like Isaiah 41. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, it's Luke, Luke chapter 4. Yeah, okay. Because um, I, I swear you said Isaiah 4, and I went and I read I, it. I probably missed. I probably missed. Miss, that's not. It was something yeah, strange. I probably, I read it, and I was like, I probably this is about a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, um, not anything that Jesus would have. So, about it. yeah, Luke 4, uh -huh. um, verses um, 18 and 19 is, um, and that is from Isaiah 61. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. So, and the crazy thing about that part um, is, so, and obviously this is just God's like, Working, working out his, yeah. his plan. But um, essentially how synagogue works is you can't, like David talked about it on Sunday that, you know, you'd read scripture for a half an hour and they talk about it for five minutes. We read scripture for five minutes to talk about it for half an hour. Like we, split, we flip the order. But in a Jewish synagogue, they read a lot of scripture. And so... And it was like, there was, it would just be like, that was the scripture of the day. I was kind of, they had like a, a, a reading plan, called like a lectionary thing. And so Jesus was just handed the scroll. And that just happened to be the reading on like his, when he read the scroll and it was talking about him. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy how it all, anointing. Yeah. like this is what, this is, yeah. this is like what's happening. This is what, so it's like, and what, what, so what's controversial. So like you, if you were like reading the scroll like, you would be handed the scroll, and you would read it, and you would say, like, this is the word of the Lord, or whatever. He reads it, 
folds it up and says, and the scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing. Like, basically saying, like, I just fulfilled the scripture. It's like, imagine if you, like, read, read the scripture at, at, before the sermon and said, like, I just fulfilled the scripture. Yeah. Have a good day. Like, how would, wow. like, how would, like, wow. you can just imagine what people would be like, yeah, what, how dare he, you know, and that's, I mean, they try to kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff right after that. Who is this again? Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, I thought you were talking about, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about someone else. My boy, JC. Oh, I thought you were talking, like, how earlier talking about Paul and how he just like brought a man back to life and then continued on with the sermon. Yeah. I thought you were talking about something like that. No, no, no. So this is... <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, um, <laughs> and then um, <laughs> Jeremiah 50 is one other passage. All of those things I just mentioned to you, the 1 Corinthians 15, the Isaiah passage, the Jeremiah 50, um, Earlier on in verse 7, it talks about the eternal gospel. Like, that is the gospel. Like, a lot of times we distill the gospel down to, like, Jesus died on the cross and forgives for our sins. Like, oh, the, the gospel is that there's sin in the world. God has come to make everything new. He sends Jesus, and the king is taking care of this problem. So, the good, and the good news for them is that this injustice that they're experiencing is going to end. It's not going to be forever. Which, again, they don't have that perspective. Many, if not all of the people who originally heard this, did not ever experience freedom from the Roman Empire. Well, none of them did. None of them experienced freedom from the Roman Empire. It was going very strong, you know, throughout their entire life. You know, the first, like, 100 to 200 AD, the Roman Empire was doing pretty good. So, you know, they, this was all faith for them that, okay, I'm going to trust you, John and Jesus, because my life is really hard. So that's why it says, um, uh, this call, verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful. He's just like, you just got to be patient. And I think that's, again, important for us to remember because there is a lot in our lives with Jesus where we just have to be patient. And it kind of sucks. I mean, if we're being honest, like, there's stuff that we want to see happen. We want to see, we have dreams that we have, and it's not on our timetable, and it's really hard. And that's where the faith part comes in. Like just to trust that God is doing something and I can't necessarily see it right now. And so, so yeah, it's, it means it's, it's judgment, but that's why this is hopeful because it's really, it is really designed ultimately for the, for the believer to say like, just, just hang in there because this is worth it. Okay. We're going to move a little faster. Um, we might only get through two. No, we're doing all we got to oh, do. Wow. We're going to do it. So, okay, so starting in verse 14 of 20. So, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called out in a loud voice to him, was sitting on the, on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time, is, the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. 
Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he had two had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of of um, of the let's say fire. 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 Ah, I guess it's gonna work today. Came out small print. Came from the altar um, and called him in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because the grapes are ripe. The, the angel sh- swung his sickle on the earth, gathered the grapes, threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia, which 1,600 stadia is about 184 miles. It's a lot of blood. Um, <laughs> it's pretty, um, so a couple things, a couple things, um, and we won't, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this part. Um, verse 19, when it talks about the cup of wrath, um, it goes back to Isaiah 51 verses 17 and 23. And the idea of that is it's just, we've talked about this earlier, like, it's just, you get what's coming to you. Like, if you live a life of, you know, like, not caring and doing all this stuff, like, you are going to, like, there are consequences to what you give your allegiances to. And the idea of, like, this, this um, all this blood coming out, I mean, it's, it's just really a, this idea of, you know, I'm sure they had Rome in view, but this is idea of, like, it's going to be messy. <laughs> like all this, I mean, if you were to walk down the main streets of Rome in this time period, I think I've talked about it before. It is, it is messed up. It is very messed up. And, and the idea is like, there's going to be consequences for all that. And again, it's tragic because those are people that God created. It's not just like, I think, Again, I want to go back to what I said earlier in the Bible study. Like, so much we want to put ourselves in the good seat and put somebody else in the bad seat. And we want to cheer, you know, like, oh, yeah, sucks to be you kind of a thing. But, like, I mean, this is, like, this is is something that grieves God's heart. But, um, again, this is the idea of, of, like, you're, like, hanging there. Like, the way way that you're walking is – is is worthwhile now the other side of it it's interesting that these two harvests are are contrasted because the first one's positive the first the first harvest is talking about people coming to faith there's a you know there's a there's a scripture the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few you know that there's all these people out there just waiting to hear the gospel who are just waiting to follow jesus so you know let's let's get out there and and see that beautiful heart you know the the harvest, and so you have the you have the the contrast between multitudes of people who are going to follow Jesus with people who have just given their allegiance to somebody else, and you kind of see those two things are played off against each other. So, again, we've kind of hit that point elsewhere, so I don't want to I don't want to um, hit that too hard. So, um, fifteen only has eight verses, so I'm going to read through this. So it says. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. Last because with them, God's wrath is completed. So that's why I'm talking about, like, we're getting to some finality of things. 
Not that like, this is the, don't think about it chronologically because there's still more chapters. So it's, again, it's like we're, this is the end of this glimpse of it. We're going to look at some more glimpses of, of what's going on here. Um, but we are talking about sort of end of days kind of things. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the, the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God and they sang the song of God's servant, Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. There's that all nations again. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, and, and that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore, wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke and the glory of God and from its power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So kind of going back really quick, a um, couple themes in, in 15. Um, we kind of talked about martyrs being with with God on or with Jesus on, on the Mount Zion at the beginning of fourteen. That's kind of in view again. Um, those who look like they have lost with God, but have been victorious, actually. Um, so that sea of glass. If you remember, we saw a sea of glass earlier. In Revelation, you guys remember where we saw it? In front of the throne. Yeah. So this is that, that throne room of heaven imagery again. And so um, the fire, there's a little bit of different interpretation um, depending on is, you know, God's, um, you know, whether it's, it's God's kind of judgment getting ready to come from that place or just God's passion. I, I don't want to, because I have, there's not, there's differences of perspective. I don't. I don't want to read too much into it, um, but the the song they sing um, in three and four is really similar to the song that Moses and Miriam sing after they cross the Red Sea. So again, we've been talking about this idea of. Moses and the Exodus, and Jesus has a new Exodus. So Moses leads the, leads the Israelites out of the bondage, out of the slavery, out of slavery. Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin. Um, there's parallels going on here. And so there's some, some images, you know, when they came on the other side of the shore, after they had escaped the Egyptians and the, the Red Sea, they sing the song, and a lot, of this con- a lot of these concepts are very similar. So that's intentional. If you notice even... That's why it says they held harps given to by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses of the Lamb. So there's tying again, they're tying Moses and Jesus together because there's they're a similar type. You see that a lot in the Bible of like there's this type of person, a type of you know, image. It it gets it it, it rhymes. It kind of all rhymes together. So all right. Now we get into sixteen. 27. We're all right. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple 
saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out the bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out its bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out its bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Okay. Pause. So that was violent. And <laughs> yes. here's the thing that I struggle with yep. when we talk about, like, a lot of the time I like to stop at God is love, and I don't get to the God is just part mm -hmm. of it. And it's because I think I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. But, like... Even though these people continue to not give their allegiance to God, God still loves them, right? So then, this doesn't seem loving. Okay. To, Let's... like, hurt them. Okay. This seems very violent. Okay. But I know that he loves them. But, like, ah. I don't know. So, a couple things. This is a good conversation. Okay. Because um, that's what I have in my notes. We should have a conversation about wrath. How do we feel about God's justice and grace? What happens when there's when not <laughs> one without? What happens when there's one without the other? That was my that was my next my next topic of discussion. So okay. thank you. So couple first first of all, we talked earlier when there was judgments and it said a third of the land or mm -hmm. a third of the sea. There's no more thirds. This is it. This is it. This is, this, is, this is the end. Well, we were already at just 22 or 11% after the, the thirds previously. Yeah. So we're like, this is the, this is, so this is like total judgment. This is total like, um, and this is the idea you hit on it, Haley, that mm -hmm. like you get chances, you get chances, you get chances, but time, eventually time runs out. Right. And um, does his love run out then at that point? So, well, what do you guys think? I don't think so necessarily. Like, I think, I mean, obviously, like, I don't think that God's love ends. I think it's more of like, well, there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it, and these might be totally wrong, so feel free if you uh, have anything. But first of all, like, I think some of it's like God's, like, one idea is that God's kind of like a parent. He's like, you know, I love my children, but you need to do the right thing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna let this go unnoticed. You know, it's it's obviously it's the end. So he's like, you know, you've got to change and you've got to repent. Um, and another thing is, you know, he's just he's really jealous, and you know, he's a jealous. Like the first commandment is like, you shall have no other gods before me. And so I think a lot of people here that have other things on their agenda than God right now and you know they're cursing God so God's like okay 
that's if that's the way that you're gonna be, then I'm gonna I'm gonna be like that right back. That's it. So you know, those are those are two Tip of my chat. theories. But yeah, I think it's more towards the first one. You know, I think he's still loving, but he's also like, I've given you chances, you haven't done anything about it. So you know, this is it. Well, what? Let me ask this, because this is a this is a hot topic right now. What is justice? <laughs> This is what happens when you don't take Sabbaths and like let yourself reflect on things. <laughs> like I don't so, know. The only like the only real like definition I have for justice in my mind is what we are seeing a call for justice in the education system. So they're saying that like equality is making sure that everyone has like the same. Like you're like okay. Here's an assignment. Everybody has the same assignment. Go do it. That's equality. But then equity is like. This is an assignment. You already have an iPad, but this doesn't, kid doesn't have an iPad, so we're going to give you that so that you can equally, do, so that you can do that. And they're saying justice now is removing any obstacle. So the picture that's always shown is like equality. There's a fence. You have a tall person and a short person. They're at the same thing. Equity is either giving that short person a step up so that they can see it, and then justice is just removing the fence altogether. But like it's a, I mean outside of the education system it's hard to like remove every single obstacle because as soon as you remove one obstacle there's going to be another well let me ask it let me ask it in a criminal justice like Haley, would you agree that murderers should be locked up in what context <laughs> people who kill each other intentionally should be <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I don't think capital punishment is good. Okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. So God's a component the, of capital but, punishment. Well, because like, my, my mind instantly is the things that we're seeing where like, this person murdered somebody, but it was self-defense. So then do they need to be punished because they committed murder or do we go are we lenient because like this other person was trying to kill them what if you could judge a situation with a hundred percent certainty that you knew the judgment was right we can't so <laughs> seems like a good question <laughs> he can't. that's 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 really the issue the gray areas in with like Capital punishment and all that kind of stuff. Because I agree with you. I don't, I don't agree with capital punishment either. Mm -hmm. Because one in ten people who are accused of a capital crime are later found to be innocent. So, you were, so we're killing innocents. Ten percent of people that are killed by lethal injection or whatever are innocent people. So we have an imperfect system where we have – we, it's like obviously there are certain people like who – have been responsible for murders that actually did them. We know we found that we've got you know we've they, they literally were caught with blood on their hands. But we have so many other situations where there's questions and it's a matter of like good investigative work. That's not in play in this situation. Like God just knows. Because God knows everything, so God can perfectly is the only one who can perfectly judge. So then I start to wonder heart. like when do my chances run out? Because I mess up every single day. When you die. Uh-huh. <laughs> or when Jesus comes back. Whichever comes first. 
But right, but I mean like <laughs> But here but here's but here's well but here's so so this is this is great. This is great. Sorry, I hope I don't sound dumb. No 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 this is really good because you don't have these questions. No, because because this goes back to what we were singing about tonight at Worship Lag and what I was talking about in my message. Yeah. That you and I are hopeless. Jennifer, you're hopeless, I'm sorry. You're, you're hopeless. <laughs> you haven't called her out all night. And then that's what you start with? I just, I hardly ever, I don't ever give Jenica a hard time, so I just. Tom spreads. Way to just eat. Right. It's mostly over here, and then I was like, Jenica. I just wanted you to feel included. You know, like, you're like, we are hopeless. I look up and you're staring right at me, I'm like, oh. We yeah. are hopeless. Jenica, you are hopeless. <laughs> I feel like Jenica appears to have it all together, and so it's like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm digging myself into a bigger, bigger yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you better. No, but so, so without Christ, humanity is hopeless. Correct. Correct? Absolutely. And so we can have that name of the Father written on our foreheads because we have given our allegiance to Jesus. Even though we miss up every day. Because we still believe in the Lord at the end of the day. Ephesians. Okay. We're going to take a minute. When we say Papa, forgive us. Ephesians. <laughs> so repentance. Papa. Papa. Please. Papa. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay. Oh. Verses 8 and 9. And whoever can find it first, please read. You have a phone. I know, but I was like, oh, they've already started. Like, there's no way I'm going to, I'm just going to get there and then I'm going to be like, no. And then, and then it took a minute. So. Can I have an area of it's, it's one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. What's the chapter? Oh, it's the New Testament. Chapter two, two. Eight through nine. I got it. Right. Shoot. No, I just got that. All right, kids, you ready? <laughs> right. Okay. Ephesians chapter two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do have Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, eight through nine says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is from it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can, can you read one, one more? That's verse 10. <laughs> For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what did that just say? That we're saved by his grace alone, and his grace covers all. Hmm? Like we can never do anything to earn it. What? Wow. That doesn't mean that. So there's something. I'm gonna throw some theology words at you. Okay, but you. There's justification mm -hmm. and sanctification. Mm, yes. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard these words before. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what word is in justification? Justice. 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 And sanctify. sanctify. <laughs> yeah. Good. Thanks. So Wait, that was Ephesians 2, what? 8 and 9. Eight, okay. 8, eight through, through 10. 10. Yeah, ten, ten. It's, good to keep ten. it's good to keep 10 in there, actually. That's a good one. I would say, Haley, maybe especially since you seem the most troubled by this Sorry. judgment pass. No. No, it's troubling. No. This is like when you read this and, tr and are troubled, you should read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Okay. 
because, because. <laughs> so justification means that Jesus died for you. He paid a penalty for your sin, for your brokenness, for the virus. And I like to think of sin as a virus. Um, because when you think about when, when, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, it probably wasn't an apple. It was probably like a fig or something. Um, they just didn't have, they don't have apple trees. Like, and you know, it's Tom's just exposing. Oh the gardener's here. just really peaked. You guys don't know this. Welcome to exposing Genesis with Tom Green. I mean, it's, I'm just trying to be like, there, there was a it point. It goes and back then, to like how we just kind of make images in the way that like how you know it never specifies three wise men it just says three gifts so we just assume that it was three magis. or uh dragons are from china or... yeah <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> i should I, I, I was gonna edit that out but i, I can't so. <laughs> so anyway you know anyway um so justification means that when you say, Jesus, I follow you, I am yours, then that penalty, like if you think about yourself like in court, like the penalty has been paid for you. Like you don't, Jesus go, like Jesus goes and takes that penalty for you. That's what he did on the cross. Like he took that. He took this. What's happening in this chapter, he took that on himself. So you don't have to. But <laughs> there's always a caveat. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Yes. So if you have truly said, Jesus, I am yours and I want to follow you, then you are going to work at that for work the rest at of your life. More like Jesus. Yeah, that, okay. that idea of sanctification, of giving more, more. If you're not interested in that, I would suggest you've never been justified. Mm-hmm. Like, if you just don't care right. that Jesus died on the cross for you and took all of your sins so you don't have to go through Revelation 16, then I don't, I would say you're probably not saved. Sounds about right. The people that are experiencing this don't want to be saved. Okay. So at the root of it, chapter 16 is saying, like, if your allegiance is in Christ and truly in Christ, then, like, you will be spared from these things. Correct. This is about... There it is. The okay. people, again, that are making their lives a living hell. This is a book of hope. Yep. Okay. Do you have a question, Audrey? Uh, well, I just want to say, to be fair, I mean, they've already made their choice before all this happened, right? But I, the part where it's like, um, they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. That verse bothers me because it's like, well, yeah. But, but I think, <laughs> like... Again, talking about people being scorched by fire. And right. No, I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's very, it's very rough. But you got to remember, the heart of God is we've already had in previous chapters these things that happen that are designed for people to go like, oh, I think I'm on the wrong track. Let me switch gears. Hmm. This is after many, many, many chances where God's like, okay, but I finally. You, you, I mean, it's like, it's like uh, the Old Testament. Again, we talk about Old Testament God, and a lot of times we talk about the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. But the Old Testament God was really, really patient. Like the Amalekites are awful people. 
they sacrifice their children to the fire god, and they kill off elderly people, and they rape and pillage everyone. And there's a moment where the Israelites are going to go through, and God says, nope, not yet. Because the, sin, the sins of the Amalekites have not, have not reached their full measure. They have not gotten to the point of no return yet. So, so you got And he gives them another 400 years. Like we talk about, like probably one of the greatest examples in our recent history of, of something that's like this wicked is Nazi Germany, right? Like there's very few wars where we can go like, yeah, we needed to stop that, right? Like a lot more of our conflicts today are like controversial and like, is it about oil? Is it about, you know, but that one, it's like, they killed 6 million Jews. We, we probably not should, good. we probably should, should stop that, you know, like that's, and I realize there's, there's a whole longer than we can talk about, like our wars just and all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea, that's a whole nother, that's a whole, I mean, it is, I mean, it's a whole other ethical conversation that we could get into, but that's probably, if there is any example of like a clean cut, like this needed to be stopped, it's Nazi Germany. So the question is, would it have been justice to just be like, well, pretty bad. But, you know, I just, I want to give them another chance. I want to give them some more chances. And let them just bulldoze their way through Europe and bulldoze their way through. And I don't know that there's like an easy answer, right? Because it's like, Adolf Hitler was a wicked person, but he was a person. Mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein is a wicked person, but he's a person. Osama bin Laden, same, I mean, go down the line. They're still people. They're still created in the image of God. Adolf Hitler was a, a man created in the image of God, believe it or not. Hard to believe. He was not irredeemable from the start. He got to the point where he wasn't going to ever choose to turn back. It's kind of like Pharaoh. And this always bothered me. So I'm with you, Audrey, on this. Like the story of Egypt where it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's like, what the heck, God? Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like Pharaoh, help a brother out. Like, you know, maybe he's got a soft heart. Then he let the Soften his heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just have to believe, knowing the character of God, that in his deep knowledge of who Pharaoh is, that he was never going to make that choice. I don't believe there's going to be anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So, Haley, I, I'm, I'm going to assume something, that you okay. want to follow Jesus. That's your Correct. heart's desire. Yes. If it is your heart's <laughs> desire to follow Jesus, I do not believe he's going to be like, well, but you cheated on that one exam sophomore year of college, you know, or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, or you got, you know, you gossip about that girl in your sorority, you know, like that's not, I, I truly believe like if your heart's desire is to have that name on your forehead, that there is, that God honors that. That's not to say like your works right. make you, I want to make that very right, clear, right, right. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it still is the grace that saves, but I think we have to respond to that grace. Mm -hmm. Question. Yeah. Do you think the or God in the Old Testament was so patient because Jesus hadn't come yet and he understands that we're tangible people, so it's like hard to I certainly think that's part of it. Plus I, I you don't have that tangible. Yeah, no, I I think that's certainly part of it. Also, guys, the ancient world was brutal. Like, I mean, you have Spartans that like the Aztecs. Yeah, the Aztecs. I mean, if you know anything about Sparta, I mean, the Spartans would take any child with any sort of a defect and just throw them off a cliff. Try again. Like, that's just, I mean, it was, life was very cheap. Like, the whole idea of, like, sanctity of human life, that that was what, like, God's people were about, was so countercultural. That each individual life has value and that each person is created in the image of God equally that just is not a value of the ancient world. It just isn't. Was it the Amalekites you mentioned? Give them 400 years or 40? Was it yeah, 40 or 400, 400. 400. So, like, first warning is coming sometime. I'm in just, a, sorry. Is coming, like, in, like, 1621. That's, like, first warning. Just to give you some perspective. B.C. or A.D.? A.D. <laughs> Four, to 2021 minus 400. <laughs> Elementary school teacher. <laughs> but when it, when it, sorry, when it comes to like, so like hardening the Pharaoh's heart, knowing, if, knowing that God, you know, will know how it will end. Yeah. Hardening the Pharaoh's heart. Versus, like, giving 400 years despite knowing that it's going to reach a full brutality. Why not just... Because... Like, I know... <laughs> well, because... Because I know that Genocide. there's, like, a certain extent of, like, giving free Be will and, like, op options of Because choices. you give opportunity... When it's a community, you give people opportunity to leave. And some probably did. Okay. So, like, you can wake up one morning and be like, man, this is awful. I'm out. Okay. Because I thought it was just they were all. No, I I think I like, I'm sure cheap, there. Yeah. Cheap kind of. No, I'm sure there. Them. I'm sure there were people. It's the same thing. It's why John is so specific to say like these are the people who would not repent. These are the people saying like, "Come at me, God." Those are the people we're talking about. Like, bring, give me, give me, give it to me. Like they're basically saying like, you can't, you can't, like, I I, I can take whatever you can give me. And God's like, okay, I don't really... And I, I, I truly believe this. Based on a lot of the character of God throughout Scripture, is that God's heart is... God is, not, God is taking no pleasure in what's happening in chapter 16. It's not like God is like, sweet, finally, with the 184 <laughs> miles of blood. Like, I've been waiting for... I've been waiting, I've been waiting to just mass murder people. Like, that's not the heart of God. This verse is going to sound so cool. Like, that's not, that isn't, the, the heart of God is like, I, like, God would not give you that many chances if he was bloodthirsty and, like, excited about it. Mm -hmm. He does not want to do this. Mm -hmm. But if he is, a, a justice, I mean, justice would be being like, well, it's not that bad. Eh, you know, like the axe murderer who's like, yeah, but they were just, they had a bad day at work. Like, you know, like. You just, oh, you're an axe murderer. Like, you just, 
kill Mer- someone with an axe. Kill a bunch of people with an axe. Like, you need to, there's some consequences for that. Okay. And it definitely makes me think about, we talked about a couple weeks ago, like, how our prayers have power. And this, like, is the display of the wrath of God. And so when we pray for, like, prayers of justice mm, over what's happened the past year, like, they. Well, and that's one thing I we didn't get to yet. So thanks for another oh, segue. Gosh, sorry. <laughs> Good job. Just, just apologize for like. Well, because we're in the in the beginning of sixteen. What are <laughs> what what is containing the wrath? Bowls. Bowls. Seven bowls. And earlier in Revelation, what are prayers collected in? Bowls. B U L L S. Um, so no i mean this is god responding to the prayers of the people so tired okay so i mean essentially like yeah if you're praying for justice like eventually it's gonna happen and it might be really tough but it's justice okay deep breath okay so much there is a lot. Um, okay, we talked about that. Okay. Verse 10. There's just a lot. I'm like looking through my notes. All right, we're circling the runway here, guys. All right, the fifth angel, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they'd done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up to repair the way for the kings of the, from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. And that's that day of the Lord idea again. Um, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay. Armageddon is biblical. Yes. (laughs) Not the movie with Ben Affleck. No. It's not biblical. Most but. definitely Is not. verse 15 supposed to be kind of a connection with the Adam and Eve? When it talks about remains closed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Um, no. So what, that, so what that's referring to is um, people in the ancient world essentially would sleep naked. Mm. And so what... what John is basically saying, is like, don't sleep on this. Like, stay awake. Stay, because if, because, yeah, don't. <laughs> don't sleep on this. <laughs> don't sleep on this. Because the idea is like, if somebody shows up to rob your house, and you're all just naked, like, how are you going to defend yourself? How are you going to, you know? By making them wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> wildly. And you're, and you're very. <laughs> Someone robbed your house and you just stand up. And he's like, oh. Ah, ah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so tired. This is, this is what happens when it gets late. Um, but that's the idea. Is like, it's, like, it's basically like, 
pay attention, stay awake, stay alert, because you don't want to be, you know, taken advantage of. You don't want to be, you want to be prepared, essentially, is what that's about. Um, Good question, though. Um, <laughs> all right. A couple things, and then we're almost done, I promise. Um, the whole idea of, first of all, the river Euphrates, the Euphrates River was a natural barrier to, to kind of to the east that would keep armies from invading. And that's why, like, you know, when God opens up the Red Sea and the River Jordan to let people cross, it's, it's very miraculous and it lets the Israelites come into the other lands. Same kind of thing. You draw, it's, it's, it's like taking away the, the defenses that people get their false insecurity from kind of a thing. So it's like kind of breaking them down in that. Um, the whole idea of leaders being um, deceived. Oh, by the way, before I say that, um, there's been a lot of really unfortunate interpretations of, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east been a lot of in our last couple centuries a lot of anti-asian um interpretation of this passage because the east is you know china or japan or um and it's there's been some like racism that's been um that's come from a, a that's, that's not what we're talking about um and so this isn't about like a specific group of people it's basically just saying like god is stripping away the things that they use to keep themselves safe it isn't calling out a specific like country or empire so i just want to make that statement because i think sometimes it's kind of like the i'm going to talk about the synagogue of satan thing like that's that was been used by white supremacy groups to like do anti-semitic crimes like that's not what that's intended to do so i just want to make that that's i think it's important to say um, so the idea that leaders are kind of led into a place and they're deceived, I mean, just look at world history. Think about how many wars, world wars or wars in general that misunderstandings or a lust for power or, you know, some dispute that started small blew up into war. It happens all the time. And so, again, this is just kind of referring to... Um, you know, this is another example of, you know, you get, you get nations that are drunk on power and conquest, and especially in the ancient world, there was a lot of that. We've kind of, in the major nations right now, we've kind of stabilized a little bit, but there's still, I mean, there's a lot of nations that still are, you know, at each other's throats and conflicts and all border wars and stuff like that. So you're kind of getting at that. Um, the whole frog thing, two things with that, verse 13. Uh, I know it's kind of like random, like what's up with the frogs coming out of people's mouths? Um, frogs in the ancient world are kind of considered kind of like this impure, kind of just like filthy little animal is kind of what, yeah. They are like, gross. What's that? I said they are gross. So that was just how they were regarded. And so the idea of, you kind of have like the unholy trinity here. You've got the beast who's, um, you know, the Caesar. You've got the dragon who's Satan and you've got a false prophet. This is sort of like a, like a mockery of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
what's going on here. And so just the whole idea is just you've got um, impurities, deceptions coming out of the mouths of, you know, these people that are leading people astray. And it's also tie, ties it back into the Exodus story once again. You know, it was one of the plagues was, was frogs. So, But we're moving towards this whole idea of the day of the Lord, this kind of final, this final piece. And so as so we're going to read this final few verses, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. There came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind is on the earth, and tremendous, so tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. Every island fled away from the mountain, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. So again, this is this idea of, it's, it's just, we're wrapping things up. This is like, this is, this is final. Again, we're going to see next week is really, we're gonna, it's going to get into more like what is Babylon like and this fall of Babylon. But the, the point of it is just that it's going to fall. I mean, it's, we've been saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. It's just, again, Revelation is a book of hope. It's this idea that, like, this isn't going to last forever. And, and we know that Rome doesn't last forever, right? They're, they're, and that's one thing I think sometimes we get a little bit deluded by, because America has been pretty strong in the world stage for quite a while now. And we're, you know, we have, and it's like, all right, well, we're like this eternal kingdom. But there has never been. There's never been a global, you know, power that has stayed at the top forever. At some point, somebody else takes his place. That's just the nature of things. Um, and that's not me trying to be, like, anti-American. I'm not trying to, like, you know, incur cheer on the demise of America. I'm just being realistic that, like, I think sometimes when we, we, we deceive ourselves, and that's kind of the idea of the River Euphrates. I mean... You can get, there are, usually, there are points in the life cycle of a nation where you get this idea that you're invulnerable and nothing can happen to you and no one can stop you and you're way too powerful and you're way too strong and you're way too prosperous. And that's usually the sign that things are going to change. So this is me being a prophetic voice today in 2021 to say, I think it's like staying humble is a good thing. You know, and like, I think we need to be honest about uh, where we need to grow. I love my country, but I know that we have work to do. You know, that we're still, we're still not fully living out the ideals that were set out at the beginning of our nation. And it's, I think it's all of our duty to work towards those things. Liberty and justice for all and all the different things that we talk about. You know, we, we want that. So I just think the one thing about Revelation that I appreciate is that I think it just it should keep us humble and it should make us be reflective about, you know, in what ways are we Babylon? In what ways are we the kingdom that God wants us to be? And, and can we pour into more into that kingdom stuff than 
you were talking about kind of this nationalistic thing, Haley, earlier on, and I think that's true. I think there's times when we just think of ourselves as kind of this infallible. And that, historically speaking, when you get to that point is when bad things start to happen. Yeah. It just is. It's, when, it's usually the beginning of the end. When we get to the, whenever a nation or a movement says, we got it, we're perfect, we got it all figured out, is usually when the wheels start falling off. And, and I love the church. Like, obviously, I love this church. I've given a decade of my life to it. I'm, I'm not looking forward to stopping anytime soon. I love being here with you. I love pouring my life into you. I love seeing the church flourish. I, love, I feel like we're in a new chapter in our church right now. I love the church in general. I've served multiple churches. I want to see the church flourish. I think the only way we can do that is to be honest about where we need to grow. You know, if you um, were in physical training, I know some of you guys are athletes or have been in sports, if your coach never corrected you, would you ever improve? Like if your coach was just like, you're great. Just keep doing everything you're doing. You're fine. Like, no, that your coach's job is to like help you get better, is to help you improve, is to help you do the thing you're doing better. I think that's what scripture does for us is it's, it's like it's part of a life coaching of saying, all right, you might be doing great in these areas, but there's always room to improve. There's always you know, and, and that shouldn't be like a discouragement. That should just be like, I think God wants you your best. You know, the best expression of who of who you are. And you guys all are an important expression of that. I know we're getting, uh, this is the on's come. I'm giving my little, last little pep talk here. But but no, I think everybody around the, t- yeah, everybody around the table, I mean, you all have something <laughs> <laughs> that's Joe something right there grabbing bugs out of the I don't, I don't, I don't want to go my <laughs> Joe is the, the church's bug catcher and so that's his that's his only contribution to the to, no I'm just kidding Whoa. three in the morning Joe's running around the church <laughs> no but I think like you know <laughs> every each one of you each one of us each has an important something important that only you can only you can bring. But there's not, there isn't, there aren't, and there's not another one of you. You're it. And we need you. So that's it for this time around.